0: Welcome to Fast Forward, where we discuss technology, ethics, and the future of humanity with your hosts Rachel Love and Ben Perry. Each episode starts with a broad topic that we found interesting
1: and explores how it engages with humans and communities in the future.
0: You can expect science news filtered through our woefully amateur lenses,
1: some strong opinions, and hopefully a bit of humor. to Fast Forward.
0: I'm Ben. And this is Rachel. Thanks again for tuning in. Today we're going to be talking about the future of transportation and city life, which is something that as city residents <laughs> in, in New York, Rachel and I both think about a lot. Too much, actually.
1: <laughs> it's an everyday experience. I think the most recent kind of salacious story is I was uh, on the infamous L train. and just barely a train at this point. Really, really. We don't even know what's happening. For all of you who are in New York, I was on the train on my way to a client meeting and we get stopped at Morgan Ave. Um, so basically, still we're still in Brooklyn. And the conductor says, this train is no longer in service, get off. Uh, and so everyone in the station had to get off. Um, it ended up that I was then 30 minutes late for a client meeting in the city. Uh, and I ended up sharing an Uber with a woman who was going to be late to an interview. Um, and just just really fun times having the subway uh, interfere with your life in ways that you hadn't expected. Uh, but I think it's a great point to like all of the ways in which these systems and infrastructures need to be improved and honestly need to be more reliable, especially for the amount of money that we pay. Because uh, stories
0: like that are not, you know, it's not a unicorn story living in any major city. And, you know, as much as we like to complain here in New York about you know, our own infrastructure woes, I talk to my friends who live in D.C. and they've got their problems. And right. It seems like every city is coming up against the same issues of, you know, having too many people and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, modes of transportation that weren't built to, to accommodate the size population the cities right. currently have, let alone the size of populations they're projected to have mm-hmm. and so everything seems to be breaking down with no easy way to fix things and I mean and when you do want to fix things so like they're fixing my one train stop right now mm-hmm. and the way that they did that is they were like "Well, oh, we were shutting down your stop for uh, two years two That's, years? yeah so for about a year and a bit wow. I haven't had I've walked 13 blocks to the one train which
1: and I and also just context. am able-bodied and, right. and- <laughs> you just moved there <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: It was literally, like, two months after we moved. They were like, you're not going to have a train stop anymore. Just
1: kidding. We're going to change your commute. Here you go. Here's your new life. Yeah.
0: Yeah, So, like, today it was raining, and I wanted to go to work, but I didn't really want to walk 13 blocks in the rain, so I was like, oh, I'll catch a bus instead, but then the bus didn't come for half an hour, and I was like, (sighs) you know, it's just fun. And
1: there has to be a better
0: way. There has to be a better way. There has to be.
1: I mean... It comes to the point of, like, we can't continue to live in cities if this is going to be the experience. Because then you can't live your life.
0: Particularly if more and more of us are going to be living in cities, which uh, totally like from your research, that is where we're headed.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, the world is becoming more urbanized, and it's predicted that by 2050, more than 60% of the world's population is expected to live in cities. That's a lot. That's, I, I one, can't even imagine that. Um, But two, means that we really need to start thinking about how we make these cities smarter. Um, And when we're talking about smart cities in particular, it's around how can you use all of this information that you have already out there. Um, And things, for example, like, you know, now a lot of the majority of people have smartphones and can have access to a mobile app. So how are you using all the sensors and all of the information that you're coming in, uh, that's coming into you? How do you use that to basically make a city smarter and more impactful for your citizens? Basically, how do you make their lives easier? But also on the, on the flip side, you're making the city in general more efficient, safer, cleaner, more sustainable, all of those different things. So that's what we're talking about when we when we say smart cities. And it's really interesting because it's projected to be a $400 billion market by 2020 with 600 cities around the globe expected to generate 60% of the world's GDP by 2025. That is around the corner. Y'all couldn't see, I was just looking at my wrist as if it was a (laughs) watch. And so, you know, this is really a pressing issue. Uh, And so uh, what a lot of cities kind of Start by doing is they'll kind of start with one small pilot, for example, either like clean air or transportation. So what was really interesting when I was doing my research is that in cities, 30% of traffic is generated by people looking for parking. So which obviously is a really huge number. So it's like just if cities could help their citizens find parking spaces instead of circling the block, you know, five times or whatever, just going onto an app and figuring out where that next spot is. So there's some interesting cities that have already started some of these uh, initiatives. Um, Kansas City, Missouri has actually done something really interesting. They partnered with Harvard and they did a bunch of research around roads and traffic and the different manufacturers of their streets. So now they have a model by which they can actually predict where the potholes are going to be. Instead of it ruining your life, the city can actually go out, fix that pothole, and everything continues the way that it should. Another kind of example is Chicago uh, is trying to do smarter waste management. So putting sensors on trash cans so that you know when they're full, so then you don't have them sitting there full of trash. And then it's a rat infested, there's disease, it's a whole thing. Um, So really just trying to be more efficient and thoughtful about the ways in which you're using technology in your cities. There's something interesting happening in San Antonio where the street lights are uh, fluctuating depending on what the weather patterns are. So if you're having worse weather or better weather, the lights will adjust so that you can reduce the amount of accidents that you're having, which sounds really great. And I feel like a lot of these initiatives are trying to help uh, citizens just move around the city easier. But there was something else that I was reading around: if you're putting LED lights and you know sensitive lights on uh, on these street lights, why don't you put cameras? So one whole conversation about cameras and us being under hyper surveillance is one thing. But there was a, a common one of these articles that I was reading uh, that said, you know, well, if you are putting these cameras and these lights in um, high crime areas. So the suggestion was that the lights would be on brighter. Because of the the areas, and I feel like, and Ben is making faces. Uh, who gets marked, who gets marked <laughs> as a high crime area? Exactly. Where, like, what exactly is is the crime? What What are you deeming as this high crime area? And I feel like. You just start to get down this really slippery slope.
0: Not to mention that you know there's that that feedback loop between policing and crime, in the sense that like exactly. high crime is often measured by high number of arrests, which right. is also you know directly connected to the amount of police presence in an area. Right. If you have way more, you know, if a community is Far more heavily policed, you're going to have more arrests. Exactly. And so, if all of a sudden your solution is okay, well, the places we're we finding most arrests, we're going to you know uh, up enforcement even more. Mm-hmm. You're going to continue this feedback loop that right. you know, leads right. to the overpolicing of
1: communities. Exactly. And so, I think my my question is really, how are you using that data? Because I feel like there is a certain limit where it is helpful and it's intentional and it's really helping to bring the efficiency and sustainability of a city up way higher. But I think that there is a critical point where if information is in, you know, in the wrong hands, if you will, but really just going in the wrong direction, you could have really massive problems. I mean, more than we have already. Um, but specifically, like when you're talking about, you know, just the word crime, it's like, what does that mean? And it's like, if you're having conversations with folks, or you're putting this information in uh, into the hands of people that don't understand the prison industrial complex and don't understand mass incarceration, then, you know, you're, you're making your city actually unsafe for your citizens, especially your citizens of color. So I feel like there's some parts of this where I'm super on board. And once upon a time on Tumblr, I saw this image of a probably multiple images of these buildings that were surrounded by greenery and, you know, these just really cool designs of, um, you know, different trains and things going in and out of buildings and just this feel of a really cohesive and um, sustainable city. Uh, And one of the things that a lot of these cities are doing are creating green districts, where they're kind of uh, experimenting with what it would be like if you, um, you know, had really sustainable buildings and air quality control and all these different things. Um, And so that's a lot of what the approach is for these cities is kind of starting small and seeing what happens because obviously, you know, a smart city in Dubai is going to look really different from something in Las Vegas. I think a
0: big part of that is also, you know, what you just alluded to in in this reclaiming of public space Mm -hmm. that there's been all this space that in one way or another has, been, has become privatized uh, even, it's obviously like a, a street. It's not privatized right. to some degree, but it, 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 in one sense, but it is in another in the sense that it's right. you know now being used for individual people to drive up and down and it, it's been taken away from sort of the commons. Right. And I think right. a, you know a big movement in, in cities around the world that I've been seeing has been this, this movement to take huge sections of streets and, and convert them and make them no longer streets and make mm-hmm. them public space, make them space right. for people to walk, yep. make them, you know, give more space for light rail, give more space mm. for, you know, bike lanes, these other modes of, of Transportation that aren't reliant on cars and actually mm-hmm. dramatically improve quality of life within a city.
1: Yep, yeah, yeah. I think what's been really encouraging, what I found a lot in this research was how how much other cities are talking to each other mm-hmm. about how to kind of collaborate and take best practices and things like that. And, and that's fantastic and that's wonderful and I wish there was a lot of other sectors in which we work together in that way. Um, but I think to your point, Ben... It's also like, where where is the intention, right? You know, are you trying to create a smarter city because you want to uh, reduce your carbon emissions or become more sustainable? Or is it that you really want to make sure that the city that you're building for the future really is for the people, as it should be, I would argue. <laughs>
0: yeah. So one thing that I, that I was looking at um, this week and sort of ties in with that is... The development of smart cars, um, not smart cars, development of autonomous vehicles. Uh, so, autonomous vehicles are already somewhat upon us. There are no, at least at this point, 100% autonomous vehicles that have been produced and are in, uh, you know ready for commercial sale. Um, the closest thing that there is is uh, what they call stage three autonomous vehicles, vehicles like Tesla, where uh, there are some autonomous functions, but they still want the person to be uh, active and engaged. Uh, should they need to resume control of the car at any minute? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, there've been you know scenarios in which someone has decided that their uh, Tesla is fully autonomous and is you know watching a movie or something, and then all of a sudden the Tesla's is like, oh, "You need to take back control," and then they don't, and there's an, you know a car accident. So we're definitely not at autonomous vehicles yet, mm-hmm. but we are swiftly moving in that direction. Before I worked in my current job, I was working for uh, Time Inc. doing magazines for various companies. And one of the clients that I worked a lot for was Ford. Um, and at the time, I'm not 100% sure where they are now, but at the time they were talking about having a, a fully autonomous fleet of Ford vehicles by the year 2022. That was sort of where they were headed for. And I was struck. I mean, so this was, I guess, two years ago. It's probably 2017. And so this was, you know, a five-year plan to, to have autonomous vehicles uh, at a major manufacturer, fully affordable to, you know, your average person, um, which would be a huge shift in the way that people drive and get around.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and that has some, you know, really serious implications uh, across whole sectors of society. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one, you know, there are lots of people who make their living driving cars. Uh, or trucks you know mm-hmm. there' are 3.5 million mm-hmm. truckers in the u.s um, wow. you know if if those trucks are, are fully automated uh, those jobs are gone in, in a heartbeat because it's way cheaper to pay a <laughs> to pay a truck that drives itself mm-hmm. or need to build a tr- truck that buys itself that you don't have to pay right <laughs> than it is to you know pay a driver people are mm-hmm. expensive
1: mm-hmm.
0: Um, so you know obviously there are things like job loss that have to be taken you know really seriously um, mm-hmm. and I don't think we're you know really talking about enough but even on the you know, the upside, like, we also don't really talk about the fact that, you know, 37,000 people a year die from traffic accidents. We don't talk about the fact that so much traffic, so much congestion on roads is just because humans are, frankly, bad drivers. Like, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. brake when we don't need to. There's an accident, and you're like, you're looking around, and you're like, you know, all <laughs> the rubbernecking that, ha- you know, the yeah. least congestion and traffic accidents, just improper following distance, people mm-hmm. slowing up and, and uh, speeding up, slowing down uh, willy nilly because they're just, inconsistent. Yeah. Um, one of the the features that a lot of uh, autonomous vehicles are, are pioneering are these uh, radio modems essentially inside the cars that will allow mm-hmm. cars eventually to speak to one another. So if you, you know, fast forward to 30-40 years in the future where you had, you know, 60-70% of the cars on the road are all autonomous, they mm-hmm. would all be able to speak to each other and the idea is that, like, you could, you know, if you have one autonomous vehicle following another autonomous vehicle, the autonomous vehicle in the front can communicate to the one behind it, I'm about to slow down. And so then they can right. both slow down simultaneously mm-hmm. and speed up simultaneously, mm-hmm. which eliminates any of that traffic so lag much. that leads to congestion, Yeah, which is good. That uh, sounds great. Very- it is. But all of this is is still moving forward and predicated on a future where humans are driving.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that is still sort of the, the prime mode of transportation. Right. And right. I, I think that... If we're thinking seriously about what is it going to mean to have, you know, um, 10 10 billion people, 11 billion people living on the planet by, you know, 2050 and Mm -hmm. 60% of those living in cities, like, we have to be moving beyond a model of people driving everywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm Because, I mean, all you have to do is take a trip to L.A. right now and see how bad, you know, car culture is when cities get larger and larger. Right, right. Um, Especially
1: when they're not built for it. Yeah.
0: To think yeah. about, you know, well, what is that going to mean then when you're trying to, you know, extrapolate that up and, you know, mm-hmm. cities aren't getting any physically bigger. Mm-hmm. You have, mm-hmm. you know, more and more people living in a place like New York and yeah. more and more of them wanting to own cars. Right. And now cars are even better because, you know, you can just plunk your address and, you know, mm-hmm. into them and, you know, take a nap and right. it becomes a really conducive and, and a great way to travel, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: is that really going to be great for the kinds of cities that we need to build? Is that going to be really great for the communities that, that we need to sustain?
1: Yeah. I mean, it feels like what you're suggesting is, is a huge cultural shift about the way that we think about transportation and mm-hmm. how we tra- how we move really together instead of individually, right? And it's, it's like this thing of at a certain time, everyone having a car, it was, it was like, you know, the best thing. And now that we're especially in the position that we are with the planet dying, uh, you know, we just can't think like that anymore. We, we won't survive. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: and yeah, it, I really think you're, you're absolutely right. It's that shift from thinking about, you know, what is what is good for me good. to what mm-hmm. is good for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that's, you know, scary to me is like those kinds of sea change in terms of, you know, everybody going from no one was riding to everybody having a car, those right. kinds of changes happen really quickly. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like we underestimate the degree to which like autonomous vehicles are just going to become normative. And I'm right. like, oh, yeah, it's great. I have this autonomous car. that will just take me wherever. Right. It takes me longer. There's more traffic, whatever. I can just, you know, watch a video in the backseat. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Um, I remember I was, I was interviewing a engineer for Ford and he was talking about when they first, uh, released cruise control, that people were losing their minds (laughs) and people were like, I'm not, I'm not letting a robot control my speed for me. I'm not going to let that happen. Um, that's, that's crazy sci-fi. I don't want any Mm -hmm. part of this. And then they released cruise control and people went, wow, this is very convenient. And all of a sudden, all that fear went away and, now, and then cruise control was on every car right, within right, you know, right. a few years. Um, and I feel like a similar thing is going to happen with autonomous vehicles, where if we're not really thinking about things intentionally and thinking mm-hmm. about them, you know, from a communal standpoint right. for the individual, they are going to be great
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. in certain ways. Uh, and I think that if we just let people run with that, all of a sudden we're going to have a, you know, a future where everybody's got these autonomous vehicles. And before we know it, we've, you know, sunk all of these resources into a, a future that is not actually sustainable. That right. isn't going to actually build the kind of communities that we need to thrive. Right. Right.
1: It's not tenable. Yeah. And I think uh, it's such a great point. And, and I think, in the past, like, what has driven us going from, you know, horse and carriage to car to everyone having a car to multiple cars per home? And a lot of that has to do with capitalism, Mm -hmm. right? And so I guess my question and my curiosity is around, like, how do we make a massive cultural shift without the driver being capitalism? Because... I don't see you know all of the car companies getting together and be like yep then you're right. <laughs> we don't need cars we anymore. We don't need cars anymore, <laughs> well, right?
0: And it's the same thing with smart cities. So, like, yeah. Ford was, was big into the smart city game, too. And so mm-hmm. they, you know, had all, all this money and then but they had this big challenge and they were, you know, awarding grants to different cities and stuff. Right. But When you have, you know, companies and corporations picking yeah. and choosing winners and losers, like, you're not playing it's on a... It's always bad. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, on a, uh, you know, level playing field. Right. Like, you have somebody who's putting their thumb on the scale. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, we should always be very, very skeptical um, of, you know, who is promoting innovation and for what right. reason right. and who is, you know, determining how innovation happens. are so you, know, you know, looping back to autonomous vehicles for a second, there are some really, you know, dark side of decisions that are being made about, you know, how autonomous vehicles think that we don't hear as much about. So, for mm-hmm. example, uh, you know, you're in an autonomous car and all of a sudden uh, a garbage truck holes in front of you. Mm-hmm. Now the autonomous vehicle has a decision to make: Is the vehicle going to go forward and, and hit the dr- and hit the garbage truck and damage mm-hmm. itself and maybe the driver, mm-hmm. or is it going to swerve right into the you know crosswalk that has people right. walking in it?
1: Right. Yeah. Something
0: that, that that's a not that's a decision that has to be programmed in. Somebody mm-hmm. is going to make that choice mm-hmm. for that car. Is going to tell them, yeah. okay, well, in this situation you know this is this is the decision you should make what about right. if it's you know between like the this the car is either going to hit an old lady or a young person right, right. like all of that exactly. would need to be programmed mm-hmm. in and mm-hmm. who is making those choices right, right, um, and there've right. already been you know situations where they've found that like for example right now autonomous vehicles are uh, not as great at picking out black people they don't see them very well. Oh my
1: God, I'm so surprised! And, and who's, who's programming those right. algorithms? Who's you know? I mean, who's, who's building the machines that even make it think this way? Mm, let me take two guesses. Who aren't you know? Right.
0: Doing the work that they need to do to be, make sure that you know the vehicle can adequately see every person. And so that's that's what really you know worries me is that when mm-hmm. the major driver behind Im- innovation is corporations with a profit motive that totally. we are not actually going to re- like get these smart cities that we need and deserve, that we will instead get uh, cities that work very, very well for a small group of people and not
1: so totally. great for a lot of others. Yeah. I think that even extends to thinking about smart cities, right? Like, what are, what are the primary drivers that are creating these smart cities? And in terms of global priorities and investments... Uh, the research is showing that, you know, it's different depending on where you are. So U.S. and Western Europe are really concerned with transportation, whereas in Japan, they are prioritizing environmental monitoring, which to me just signals what's important to your culture, mm-hmm. what's important to your people. And I think that if, if we're thinking as if we're a government, and we're just thinking about the efficiency of transportation, right? To me, that reads as what you're concerned about is how quickly products and services are getting to people and what your bottom line is. So it's like, even if it is in the spirit of people, citizens, you know, transportation and all this, even if you're thinking about from that lens, but really what is your goal? Your goal is to get thing A to Point B, much quicker, so that you, your city and your government, your nation state is more profitable, you have a higher GDP so that you can then, you know, do all of the things that governments do, <laughs> which is not for this episode, you know, I, I just, it's concerning. Yeah, I don't, I don't
0: really know what the answer is there in terms of, because we are so beholden, particularly to tech companies, yeah, for a lot of. Innovation. I mean, they are yeah. absolutely driving these innovations in really good ways as well. They have right. so little oversight, and the people who are I mean, just watch. You know, any congressional hearing on any tech issue, and you see how woefully uh, inadequate our regulatory bodies are for overseeing the technology that is emerging. And it's, right. it's not you know a knock on our congressional bodies or you know state legislatures or anyone else. Mm-hmm. It's just that I mean. This technology is very, very complicated. Right, right. Yeah. I I don't want to be the one making you know, calling those shots. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. like trying yeah. to understand you know, if you're a regulator, you have lots of issues on your plate. Totally. You know, developing a, a you know, authoritative knowledge of, you know, autonomous vehicles may not you know, be your all-encompassing purpose, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're in a you know a hearing, and you're supposed to be you know coming up with le- legislation that right. uh, you know will govern the adaptation of autonomous vehicles in your city. And then you know when you're calling on experts, the only experts <laughs> that really exist are the, are the people who are companies. who are building the
1: autonomous vehicles, <laughs> and so there's right. this, this closed will, loop, right? Who will benefit greatly from mm. that? Yeah, um, yeah.
0: And so yeah, I don't I don't really know what the the solution. I don't know. Is. I don't know if Fast Forward's going to have an
1: answer. Really. <laughs> well, we just have pop, a lot of questions and concerns. With no answers. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. No, and I think I think to your point, Ben, it's like the people that are in these roles that are helping to make these decisions, we all have gifts and we all have talents, right? And it's like you can't be an expert in everything, you know? And but the issue is is that even if you do bring in an expert. Right. And to your point, many of them are actually the business that's profiting Mm -hmm. from this product. You know, even when you're doing that, you still need a certain level of understanding before you can write legislation Mm -hmm. like that. I just I think it comes down to to a system design issue. And I what I would love to imagine is a world in which we could have more of a some type of like collective leadership and like joint, almost like. Collaboration and brainstorming around these different issues, but with the primary goal of how are we building the best world for our community? I
0: think a lot, a lot about that, even just with the MTA, in the sense that you have, you know, so many people who are very, very frustrated about the way that the MTA operates or mm-hmm. the, you know, the level of service that we receive. Or, you know, and we make ourselves known on Twitter and we make <laughs> ourselves known in community <laughs> hearings and every, yeah, everything yeah, else. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like, the decisions are still being made for the most part up in Albany. Mm-hmm. And they're still being made in ways that, you know, so like, for example, recently, the MTA decided to hire, you know, whatever, it's like 500 or 800 more cops to, you know, crack down on fare evasion. You know, if, I was going to be identifying problems with the subway system right now. Let me tell you, fair evasion is not going to be high on my list. No, um, nor do I think it was, you know, for just about anybody in the city. And like the, the salaries that you were going to end up having to pay all these cops to, you know, go after fair evasion are probably right. going to, you know, be pretty much a wash for any money that you save totally. by like encouraging somebody to buy a MetroCard who might not otherwise. like exactly. I, mean, I just I,
1: right and. and- it's even like, why are you focusing on fair evasion as your main priority? That's where you want to invest. When your
0: frames are literally breaking down. Like, or like they're putting in like the new, the new. They're gonna replace the metro cards with right. like radio cards, mm-hmm, whatever, mm-hmm, to get people mm-hmm. in and out more efficiently. Right, which, right. Back to efficiency. Which is, okay, uh-huh. okay great. I yes. can get, like get quicker down into the tunnel where I wait eight hundred years for my train. <laughs>
1: right, right. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's so frustrating, and it, I think it's also this interesting thing, specifically around fare evasion. Like the ads on the subway mm-hmm. are like, well, if you evade the fare and we catch you, then you have a hundred dollar fine. It's like, okay, well. How come, what if I need to go to work and I can't afford that? I still have to pay the fine or I'm gonna get arrested? Like, what? And it's like, why is that the issue? Why why can't it be that you are making a more efficient subway system? I was literally just this morning having a conversation with my father about, he's he's not from New York and he was trying to navigate the subway system. And I was telling him how much easier the subway or tube system in London is especially for people who aren't used to it, you go down into the, into the platform and there's very clearly signs and directions of like where you need to go. If you need to get on X, Y, or Z stop. And it's just like that, just that thoughtfulness is so important. So when you're on the subway system here in New York, you kind of have to figure out where you're going or you're going to get really lost My grandmother was just telling me a story recently when I was in San Diego about when she first came to this country, she couldn't speak any English and she couldn't, she couldn't read and write in English yet. And she was lost. She told me, she said, I just started crying. She's like, I just started crying because I didn't know where I was. I didn't know how to get there. And I didn't even know how to ask for directions of where I was going. You know, and it's just like, there's some very high percentage of immigrants in this city. And... Why wouldn't you help them figure out the subway system when they first come instead of this whole anxiety experience? When I first came here, I never thought I was going to use the subway. I went down and I was like, this is so stressful. I'm not going to do this. And it's like, you know, just that basis of like, what are, what are we using this system for? And what is the cultural relevance to the culture of the city? And yeah, how we welcome we people. It kind of goes,
0: like, you know, who, who is this city for? Who is the city for? Um, and I think that, you know, the folks who are making city planning decisions are not all always in alignment, at least, you know, with, with who I, I would want the city to be working right. for. Right, right. Um, and I think that you see that when it comes to you know the the building incentives that are given to all sorts of you know mm-hmm. high high rise luxury condos all mm-hmm. over this city, mm-hmm. you know the millions and millions of dollars that are you know given to subsidize uh, gentrification. Right, you know, right. There's the this tax there's this yeah, and... big big luxury complex that's going up in Dumbo right now. I don't know if you've seen, but they have this mm. massive park. It's gonna be this huge green space, big big open green space yeah, in the center of this million square foot luxury. Building like Mm. it's going to be a big square with a courtyard inside, but that courtyard, that you know, big—it's like a quarter square mile of green space or whatever—is only going to be available to the people who live in that building. So they're building this big massive park. I'm sure they got some city money to help help them along. Of course they did. And the only people who are going to be able to use this beautiful green space in in a city that is hurting for green space are the people who (laughs) you know have probably millions of dollars you can afford to, like, get out and go to the castles on mm-hmm. the weekend. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, exactly. They're not even going to utilize it. <laughs> <laughs> They're not. They're probably going to go there once.
0: Right. This is a pretty park.
1: This is nice. I'm done.
0: Yeah, uh, right. And so, yeah, I, I just I feel like we have this real disconnect between, uh, you know, the folks who are making city planning decisions and the people who have the, the most pressing needs uh, from city living. Uh, and I don't... Totally. I don't know how we're going to square that circle. And unfortunately, you know, the, the bill is coming increasingly due do. with each passing
1: day. Tick tock, Ben. Tick tock. Tick tock. Tick tock. I really don't think we're going to figure it out in the next ten, eleven 11 years. But you know what? We'll be here, so we'll see what Until then, thanks
0: for joining us here on thanks, Fast ben. Forward, the podcast with no answers. Right.
1: Until next time, with more unanswered questions, this is Rachel. And I'm Ben. Thank you for listening to this episode of fast forward as a reminder what we've shared today are our own personal opinions and some of our jokes but not expert level information so as always please do your own research
0: and remember please base no life or death decisions on our ramblings. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
1: Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on an episode. And while you're there, leave us a rating and a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Stay tuned for the next episode.